It's tuned to yesterday, featuring programs from radio's golden era. I'm your host, Mark Livonier, and this hour adventure later on from Dangerous Assignment from 1952. But first, a broadcast of The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen called The Jewel Thieves and the Straw-Filled Dummy, a mutual broadcast from the 11th of September, 1947. Entry to catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, master. Position 112 degrees 32 minutes east, 21 degrees 6 minutes north. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks departed Hong Kong, China, 9 p.m. after breakdown in schedule. Reason for delay the jewel thieves and the straw filled dummy. My main purpose when the Scarlet Queen slipped past Stonecutter's Island and into the teeming harbor of Hong Kong was to locate my Chinese boss, Kuji Kang, or at least to get some word of instruction for the charter voyage that had brought me all the way from San Francisco. But three days passed and I had no luck. I combed the city of Victoria from the peak to Broadway on the waterfront, but the Queen idly scraped her fenders on the dock. My crew poured their money into bar tills. My chief mate, Gallagher, threatened to sign on any ship that was going anyplace. And I grew more disgusted every minute at being stuck, not knowing where to go or what to do. By the end of the fourth day, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything but relaxing and forgetting. I started with a small bar on the waterfront, and by the time I'd graduated through the British Club, the Hong Kong Club, the Commercial Club, and four out of every five non-club bars I passed getting from place to place, I had almost succeeded in forgetting. I swung into the Emperor Hotel, crossed the lobby peopled by a scattering of stiff-backed crown colonists, and made the doorway to the bar to look for a table. I stopped. She was sitting alone with an untouched drink in front of her. She looked up at me, her face set and cold. Her eyes flashed away for a second and back. Then she smiled stood up and came to me. Oh, darling, there you are. I've been waiting so long, I didn't know what to think. Oh? You're so late. We'll have to rush to get dressed in time for dinner. Come on, I have the key to our room. I stopped thinking it was the new Hong Kong approach when she took my arm to swing me back into the lobby. Her nails dug in, and her arm and the body behind it were shaking. The plea in her eyes gave me the rest. She was scared stiff, and she needed me. We turned around and walked out into the lobby. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. She led me across the lobby without another word, her nails still digging through my coat sleeve. Her arm's still shaking. When we stopped to buzz for the elevator, I looked back. A very erect, thinly built man was coming out of the bar. His walk was mincing. He stopped by a pillar and looked at us while he put a cigarette in the middle of his mouth with graceful fingers, lit it, and flourished the match delicately to the floor. A powerfully built little five-by-five walked up and joined him. They were still watching us when the elevator took us out of sight. of the building on the third floor. Here. She handed me the key to unlock the door. But when it closed, everything drained out of her. She slumped down on the edge of the bed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so frightened. Now, take it easy. You want to try a drink or something? A glass of water? Sure. Ah, here you are. Yeah, I'll hold it for you. Thank you. Yeah. Better? Yes, I think so. Who was your sylph-like little friend downstairs? His name is 
Neil Gaynor. The other one, 5 by 5 I don't know what his name is. They really knock you to pieces, don't they? Neil says he's going to kill me. Why? They were going to follow me out of the bar, and I don't know why. I swear I don't know. They want something from me, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what they've done to my husband. Where is your husband? Neil says he's dead. He says he's dead, and I'm next. <laughs> Please. Now, this is no time to cry. You're all right. I have no right to ask you. Could you stay with me? Please, don't leave me. It's been my fortune to only occasionally see a woman cry as she did, because she had to. It wasn't an act. It wasn't to gain sympathy. It was a cry of complete, terror-filled desolation. She quit shaking. A long time after that, she got up, went into the bathroom to put some cold water on her face. I'm awfully sorry for everything that's happened. I'm all right now, really. Please, I didn't have any right to ask you, and I don't want you to feel you have to stay here with me any longer. I don't. But you aren't leaving. No. Look, I was on hand when you needed me. You're bargaining? Believe me, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm taking advantage of you because you're in trouble, but if it is that, it's unconscious because I don't work that way. Maybe my world's kind of falling to pieces right now, too, and I need somebody. I'd hate to think that because I've been self-contained for a long time. You aren't going. You could make me go, or you could come with me. Where? Someplace where you could forget being afraid of Neil. Someplace where he wouldn't find us. Oh, we couldn't get out of here without being followed. I've been tailed through cities before. Pack your bags. I'm going to take you someplace. You're going to take me someplace? No one has said that to me for such a long time. It won't take me long to pack. I called the cab and we left the hotel by a rear door. We shouldn't have bothered. There was enough light for me to see Neil Gaynor leaning against the building. When we got into our cab, he got into one parked behind us. We want speed, driver. Turn left at the end of the alley, and I'll give you directions from then on. The driver knew what speed meant, but his idea of threading through traffic was based on the theory of the straight line, modified by the belief that the line would open through the snarl traffic ahead of it if he made enough noise with his horn. We crossed and recrossed the level sections of town with Neil and the other cab trailing in our wake. Parallel the waterfront, dodged through a maze of warehouses, finally lost him. We climbed halfway up Victoria Peak, took one of the terrace roads to the left, dropped to within a block of sea level, and I finally shouted the driver to a stop in front of a Chinese flat. Right here, Charlie. Kim, you remember me? Thanks for that work, huh? Well, the one called Connie. The year have been many essential time before me. We need a room for the lady, Kim, you It is blunt. Her baggage is outside by the steps. My son will bring it. Follow. Thanks very much, Kim. She crossed the room to the single window and opened the shutters to look out over the blinking, restless movement of the harbor. The maze of Kowloon's lights across the bay. And for the first time, she was smiling. Uh, they keep playing that same record over and over again, don't they? Tell me the truth. Could you tell the difference if they weren't? Certainly. I can tell the difference between one with a singer and one without. <laughs> we'll put you right up in my class. Feeling better? Of course I am. Your friend downstairs called you Carney? That's right, Phil. Phil Carney. You must have one too, huh? I don't want to tell you. Oh, 
Give me a phony, then. Tell me something. No, no, it's not that I want to hide anything from you. You just won't like it. My last name is Ainley. What Ainley? You won't like it. It's Henrietta. Oh, no. (laughs) I told you. Oh, it's all right. It's a fine name, but you... Becomes you like uh, like a diving suit would. I told you. Well, it's too late to do anything legal about it. I'll call you Hank. Oh, do you think that's prettier? Hank? Not too feminine, but when you look like you do, they could call you Sam and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> so it's all right, huh? Sure. Everything is. Just for a little while, everything is all right. Don't talk about it if you don't want to. I think I do want to. It's simple enough, I guess. You see, my parents were killed out here during the war, and after it was over, I was all alone. Uh And I married Lucian Ainley. He was good to me. I don't know what he was mixed up in with Neil. I never asked him about anything. When was the last time you saw him? That was over three weeks ago. You see, our home was in Calcutta, and he, he just left one day and didn't come back. And then I got a cable to meet him here. But when I got here, it wasn't Lucian, it was Neil. And, and I, I just don't know what it all means because the way Neil said it, I I think he killed Lucian. If if I just only oh, knew... take it easy, Hank. If I knew what he wants hey, from... Hey, hey, we're out of the emperor, remember? Yes. We came out here so you could forget being scared. I'm sorry, Phil. Everything is all right. Really, it is. What's the matter, Phil? Everything's a little frightening. What, Phil? You. What happens to me? Come here, Hank. Yes? I just want your face, like this. So I can look at it. What, Phil? I wondered what makes you so beautiful. Your mouth's a little too wide. Your eyes are a little too widely spaced. Your cheekbones... A little too high. They're playing that same record again. Maybe you don't like comparisons, but this is supposed to be a compliment. There's a woman who's very important in my life. Oh? You look like her. Where is she? She's on my ship. Her name is the Scarlet Queen. She's carved from wood, and she spends all her time under the bowsprit from where she keeps a good watch on what she's leading the rest of us into. You look like her. Do you mind? Uh-uh, I think it's wonderful. I think it takes care of everything that wasn't taken care of before. Phil. Oh, Phil, wait. All right, I, Phil, I... I wanted to tell you... I was scared again when you said there was a woman. I was jealous. I... I want to tell you what... What's happening to me? That puts you right up in my class. Then it's all right. Oh, Phil. (laughs) You and your wooden woman. After I'd got Kim Yui to put me up in a room farther away from the incessant phonograph, I lay awake. Remembering that I'd started out to forget the senseless frustration that had bogged down the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. And that I'd succeeded. Hank and I didn't move out of Kim Yui's building the next day. We spent most of our time watching the street from the window to see if our taxi dash of the night before had really shaken off her persistent friends. Nobody bothered us. Nothing did. Because there didn't seem to be anything else in the world except this dream that had picked us up out of the center of reality. That we couldn't or wouldn't leave. The next morning we hired a taxi. It followed the winding picturesque road around to Repulse Bay. We swam in the blue water lay on the sand in the sun, drank in the hotel bar. It was just before sunset when we got back to Kim Yui's, climbed the stairs, opened the door, find the dream invaded. 
The room had been ripped to pieces and it was cluttered by the things from her luggage. In the middle of it stood the slight, mincing man from the Emperor lobby, Neil Gaynor, his graceful fingers holding a small Japanese automatic. Ah, Tristan and Isolde, do come in. Neil. Neil, go away. Oh, I'll come to you. Will you really? The door, Captain Connor, close it, if you will. Dear Henrietta, you're actually blowing. What's happened to you, I must know. Please, Neil, give me just two hours. I promise I'll come to you. The power of man, really, the utter effectiveness of him. What has he wrought, Henrietta? Look, Nola, straighten up and say something. I'm losing my temper, and I'm going to make you kill me to keep me from getting my fingers around that dimpled throat of yours. Phil, please, please don't, Phil. What this all means is that I would put out both your eyes before you took two steps. Bang, bang. I don't see how you stand the noise. My aunt be brave. All right, my man of action. And knowing your type, I will show you how sweetly my little one speaks. Just the tip of your right ear. <laughs> you control yourself, Henrietta. Turn your head, Captain. See. Just a slow welling of good, healthy blood. Just nick. And another one beside the first. Now, my man of action, I hope you feel some respect for my little one. And I will leave my warning unspoken. Sit down, Henrietta. Your man will remain behind you. How much have you told him? About what, Neil? Oh, you're such a young, innocent... Aren't you? How much have you told him? I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How could I tell him anything? Who are you trying to impress? After all, the captain shouldn't mind if you're only a few hundred thousand pounds sterling outside the law, should you, captain? As long as you're enjoying yourself. I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How interesting. You mean the disposal of jewels valued at 200,000 pounds is too unimportant to be discussed in your home? Neil, do you mean my husband? I do indeed, and you know it. Lucian Ainley and the brilliant robbery of the Hemelian Transport Company. You believe it, or you wouldn't have flown so rapidly to Hong Kong after my cable tour. I was worried about Lucian. You were worried about the jewels. Where is Lucian? He is dead, oh. my dear. And you and your captain will be also, unless you tell me where the jewels are. Neil, I don't know anything about them. Lucian never told me anything. Believe me, I, I don't know. I really... Neil, Neil, what are you doing? Sit, Neil. Phil. If you tell me the same story for 40 minutes, I'll try to believe you. I'd moved two inches closer to the chair while he backed halfway across the room. He had a thin leather belt in one hand and he held his automatic in the other. Just as his arm went back and he was briefly off balance, I dropped to my knees behind the chair, grabbed the legs and threw everything. Chair, rising girl, and my 210 pounds on him all at the same time. I stumbled across Hank in the tangle, sprawled forward into Neil's legs just as his automatic snapped. I got my feet under me, pulled him partway up by his hair and one shoulder, and gave him my right knee. I heard his breath leave him. When the pain doubled him up, I hit him just above the chin with my right I got to my feet, lifted Neil by his clothes. I took him out of the room. I stopped at the head of the stairs. And I tossed him down. Bill. Bill. What's the matter with you? Oh, are you all right? Sure, I'm all right. Oh, hold me, Phil, please. Hold me. Yeah. Did he hurt you? Not very much. The devil he didn't. Phil, could we go someplace else? You mean five by five might show up now? Oh, I think so. And we aren't going anyplace else. We'll wait for him. Go get some decent clothes on. Do something with your face. You're a mess. We didn't have to wait long for our next visitor. When I heard his footsteps on the stairs leading to our floor, I hustled Hank into a corner where she'd be out of sight. I waited at the door with Neil's automatic. Funny approach, and for a split second, I had the crazy hunch that it wasn't five by five. The hunch was right, it wasn't. Skip! What the devil happened to you? Gallagher, what are you doing here? I I came up to talk talk to you. What do you want, Red? I just wanted to talk to you. Don't you think this vacation has gone on long enough? What do you mean? I just want to know if you're going to turn into a Hong Kong playboy or come back to the ship, that's all. I think the least I deserve is the truth, don't you? Yes, Well, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the boys and the crew. After all, they're as much your responsibility as mine, and I'm not... Well, can you come out here so I can talk to you? Yeah, sure, Ed. What? Some dough was 
delivered to the ship for you and sailing orders from Kang. Did you open them? They were open. The next port's high farm. I was thinking if you want to stick around for a while and come down by land, I could take the queen down. Well, it's none of my business. How'd you with... find me? Through the police. You're mixed up with some nice hot company this time. I know it, Red. They got their clamps ready for your... your girl. And I'd like to see you get out before they shut. They've had their fingers on every move you've made since you met her. You're in deep enough, Scott. All right, Red. All right, gather the crew. We'll sail at nine tonight. <laughs> a boy, Skipper. There are plenty more like her where we're going. Yeah. What? What is it, Phil? Come here, Hank. Sit down. Is this goodbye, Phil? You just tell me if it is. What if I told you that Red was taking the ship and that I was going to stay here? Oh, that it'd be bad for you and good for me. And we'd make it somehow. What about that 200,000-pound bundle of jewels? Would it make any difference, Phil? No. Now, what if I told you that the police here in Hong Kong were absolutely sure that you do know where the jewels are? Phil, that's impossible. Unless Neil made a sworn statement out of his suspicion. It's true, Hank. They're ready to take you. Listen, if I could draw the police away from you and give you a break... You draw the police away from me. You wouldn't take the break? With you drawing the police? What kind of a break would that be with you in danger for no reason at all? Phil, why are you saying all these things? To get to the real way out and to make it sound as simple as it really is. The Scarlet Queen is sailing tonight at nine and you're going with her. I could go with you. You see how simple it is? Oh, it's with you. That's all I can see. The way out, Hank. We'll figure the rest when it comes up, okay? Oh, okay. How can I answer that? How can I answer a question as big as my whole life? Just say sure it's okay and shut up. You better just shut up and come here. Everything's going to be all right now, darling. Isn't it? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. You have to leave a lot of your stuff. That's all right. You can only take one bag. I'll take it down to the ship right now. You're going to leave now? I have to, Hank. Got things to take care of. Oh, yes, yes, I know you do. Yes, and you'll be back when? I'll pick you up at 8.30. Phil. Phil, hurry back. I've gotten so used to you. About three hours, darling. We can handle that, can't we? I don't know. Hold me, Phil. Oh, yeah. Three hours. I don't know if I can get through them or not. I took her one small bag with me when I left. Get down to the waterfront without being followed and took her bag into a dive. Drank my way through the longest three hours of my life. I had to do it this way. I'd asked her if she'd let me draw the police away and she'd refuse, so I had to leave her. I had to do it my way. A quarter after eight, when she was counting the last 15 minutes to the time when we'd be together, I made an anonymous phone call to the Hong Kong police. In a quarter of nine, I staggered drunkenly aboard my ship, carrying in my arms a straw-stuffed dress. At the end of the pier, I saw the police I'd called. I walked a little slower, and then I saw him, the squat figure of five-by-five skulking in the lee of a warehouse. And I knew that in the mist, the object in my arms would pass very well to all of them as Henrietta Hank Ainley, on her way to High Farm. We nose slowly out of the fog-blanketed harbor, crept past the invisible stonecutter's island, and turned south into the steady roll of the South China Sea. The wind we picked up outside swirled gray dampness across our decks, rattled the running rigging. Stand by for me, sail! The miserable crew moved sullenly to their stations at the halyards. This foggy departure meant nothing to them. They hadn't known Hank Ainley. Make 
main sheet moved sluggishly up the mast, and the moisture that clung to it gleamed dully in the faint glow of our running light. To the ship sheets, men! Smartly now! Red tried his best, but the men moved like martyrs to a lost cause. And the jibs moved out, and the mizzen, and Scarlet Queen groped her way into the fog. That's a bad night, Skipper. But not much shipping down this way. I guess we don't have to worry too much about collision. Do you think so? Oh, come on, Skipper. Pull out of it. <laughs> What'd you do, fall in love or something? Shut up! Get out of here, Gallagher. Leave me alone. Uh, hey, Skipper, climb off. What did I do? Nothing, Red. Nothing. Look at you! What's the matter with me? You got us two points off course, and the mainsail is starting to flutter. That proves she wasn't good for you. You already got one lady in your life. That scarlet beauty under our bowsprit. Log entry. The Catch Scarlet Queen. 11.30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 11,047. Dense fog. Wind light. Sail reduced because of bad visibility. Ship secured for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, on tuned to yesterday from the 11th of September, 1947, on the Mutual Broadcasting System. If you were listening to radio in Los Angeles on the night of September 11th, 1947, it was a Thursday and you could have tuned in to hear the show at 8.30 on Mutual Affiliate KHJ. This is an hour of adventure, on tuned to yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Lavonier. Now time for Dangerous Assignment, an NBC episode from December 3rd, 1952. Steve Mitchell on another dangerous assignment. Dangerous assignment starring Lloyd Burrell as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, dangerous my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to prove you can sometimes hang a killer sky high with a little piece of string. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me. Steve, you ever hear of the Italian movie actress named Yolanda? Sure. She's made so many rice field pictures, I understand she's got waterlogged kneecaps. <laughs> How'd you like to meet her? Just hand me a pair of hip boots and I'm on my way. Well, you'll find her on the French Riviera. A yacht is anchored at Nice. We're particularly interested in the guest she has aboard. How so, Commissioner? Steve, one of the most vicious pre-war rackets is in operation again. A racket that's cost many people throughout the world a fortune in payoff money for the, the protection of relatives living in eastern Germany, Hungary, and Romania. Built up quite a fund for Adolf's rise to power, didn't it? Well, this time we're certain it's being run as a private enterprise. Started up some six months ago under the direction of the same man who handled it for the Nazis. Well, that'd be Herzog, colonel of the Gestapo. Right. Only someone else seems to have taken over the racket. The colonel's little black book, too. Herzog died suddenly in Lisbon two months ago. Now, how does this all tie in with the Italian movie queen? An American named Ernest Hall, holidaying in Nice... Had the bike put on him for $25,000 last week. He'd pay up? Yes. He was afraid harm had come to some of his family still living in eastern Germany. Now, Hall is certain the head of this racket is aboard that yacht. Get over there, Steve. Check with him, find out who's behind all this, and smash it. Well, that's it. You got your assignment. Good luck.
my assignment. Get over to the French Riviera, check with an American who's had to pay off protection money for members of his family living in Germany, find out who's running the racket, and break it up. It's late Thursday afternoon when my plane lands. The American, Ernest Hall, is waiting for me in his hotel room. I was afraid for my relatives, Mr. Mitchell. That's why I didn't call the authorities until now. I wanted nothing to go wrong. I decided it would be best to investigate quietly after the payment had been made. All right, Hall, let's start from the beginning. When did you get the first indication of this? Sunday evening. A letter had been slipped under my door. The note contained a demand for payment of $25,000. A threat against the lives of an Antimali Halderstadt and two cousins, Jan and August. Halderstadt? Was that by any chance? Yeah. My father's name. I changed it to Hall when I arrived in America many years ago. I see. How long you been here in Nice? A month. Run into any old acquaintances? Someone who knows your real name is Halderstadt? Yes, as a matter of fact. A week ago, aboard the yacht. Eric Vogel is an old, old friend. We come from the same village. Well, naturally, we talk to people we'd known, our families, so on. And when you got that note Sunday evening? No. No, I, I, I couldn't bring myself to suspect that Eric was behind all this. There were others at the party aboard the yacht. Well, any one of them could have overheard your conversation, learned that your real name was Halderstadt. Well, that is possible. Okay, just who were the others? The actress Yolande, of course, was there at her yacht. Also a French newspaper man named Albert Beauvais, an Englishman named uh, Chipping, and Lal Hubli, a Hindu. Is that all? No, uh, two others. Felix DeLuca, he's Yolanda's director, and George something or other. I, I didn't get his last name. Okay. How about the payoff? Now, last night, a box containing the money was placed under a bridge on the road to Antibes. You see anyone? I didn't go. Albert Beauvais did. Oh, the newspaper man? Yeah. You see, he was with me Sunday evening when the letter came. <laughs> Naturally, we talked about it. The note instructed me to remain in my hotel room here, send someone with the money. Beauvais volunteered. I see. Look, I'd like to meet these people, Beauvais, Chipping, uh, George, what's his name? I can arrange it. I'm expected aboard the yacht in an hour. Cocktails, they'll all be there. Fine. Uh, I, uh, I should warn you, Mr. Mitchell, these, these friends of Yolanda, they're, uh, they're of artistic temperament. The, their actions are somewhat droll, strange. You, uh, you might call them eccentric. Or maybe just plain crazy, huh? <laughs> Let's go. Well, I've met some characters in my time, but nothing like the wacky group assembled aboard Yolanda's yacht. The queen herself was attired in a leopard-skin bathing suit, dark glasses, a floppy sombrero with a four-foot brim, and she's tossing grapes across the room to a gent who is standing on his head in the corner with his mouth open. And the Hindu, draped in his sheet, is sitting cross-legged on the bar, and he's cracking walnuts with his teeth. Hall introduces me to Yolanda, and a split second later, the door bursts open, and two gents race into the room. Each of them is armed with a saber. That was Chipping, and the one called George. I didn't even get to say hello. You will be back. Oh, come on, Joe. You sit down here next to Yolanda, huh? You sit down, Joe. Uh, uh, the, the name is Steve. No, I don't like that. I like you. And everybody I like, I call it Joe. Come on, Joe, sit down. You relax. <laughs> Give me a cigarette. Sure. Martini, Steve? Uh, yeah, but um, uh, easy on the olives. I may have to drive tonight. Oh, you didn't meet everybody, Joe. Oh, there is Lau. Lau? And that is DeLuca. Hey, DeLuca, get off of your head. Say hello to Joe. Hello. Steve, I got done. No, we Uh, here's your cigarette, Yolanda. Oh, thanks. I like you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you got class. I owe it all to the Continental. So you're from USA, huh, Joe? That's right, Yolanda. Ever been there? No, not yet, Joe. But I'm going to make a picture there. The Luca is writing it now. Beautiful story, Joe. Beautiful. Oh, sure, you like it, Joe. It's about a young girl. I am telling you, the Luca. This young girl, Joe, she... She walks on oranges. Can I... Oranges. Can I start to know I'm writing it? 
I am sick of grapes. Always I am jumping on grapes with my bare feet. You can't jump on oranges. Oh, stupid dog. Who wants to jump on oranges? I'll have a jolly girl at it, my dear. How oh, you keep out of this, Mr. Chippy? Oh, oops, I'm sorry. Back to the wars, George, old chap. On guard. On guard. You're in the memento, George. Uh, uh, Just a minute. Uh, hold it. Uh, I say, you're a new chap here, aren't you? Uh, the, the name's Mitchell, Steve Mitchell. Oh, I'm shipping. Uh, no jokes, please. And this is Georgie. I can't remember his last name. Uh, hello, Steve. Just call me George. Yeah, what's his business? Oh, oranges. I was trying to tell you the story of my next picture. It's about the girl who picks oranges. Poor but honest, hard-working and all that sort, eh? Proud, stout heart beating neath her tattered gingham, falls in love with a gentleman farmer named Rodney. He's a cat, of course. Who oh, told you? Oh, I say, really. A bit of old hat, you know. Oh, yeah, what's an old hat got to do with it? Ah, oh, you don't know this story at all. We'd love to hear it, then, by all means, my dear. I place myself at your feet. Ah, and while you're down there, you untie my sandals, huh? <laughs> my feet killing me. It's Johnny Roldo's lousy grace to look up. <laughs> Well, Yolanda launches into a dramatic account of the plot. A tender, heartwarming story of love, greed, and hate amongst the smudge spots. Suddenly, the saloon door swings open. A short, heavy-set gent stands there with a mask over his face, a forty-five in one hand, a small satchel in the other. Hey, what are you doing? What yeah, is this? This is a hoist. A hoist? What is it at all? A stick up, Yolanda. A hold up. There's the bag, gents. Now let's have your wallet, watches, rings. Anything will bring me a buck. Dump them in there. Now wait a minute. Let's what? get on with it. I ain't got all night. Now you fight, Mac. Now, of course. Only call me George, huh? That's me, Foot. George! <laughs> okay, George, get up. And don't try that again, see? Are you all right, old man? Yes, yes, I'm all right. Next one of you gents that gets funny winds up with a slug at him. Now, come on, shell out. The little gent with the gun isn't kidding. And I'm pretty sure now that this is no gag. I fall in line, drop my wallet, and watch into the satchel. Something about this setup, and I'm trying to figure out an angle... When the gent picks up the bag, backs out of the room, and then he's gone. I take three quick steps to the door, stick my head outside. Ew, the slug chips a hunk of mahogany just over my head. Then I hear footsteps down the gangplank. I take off on the double. Ernie Hall is right behind me. You see him, Mitchell? I think he ducked around the warehouse. Come on. We'll cut through here. Hold it. What is it? Someone coming up alongside the building. He's in a hurry. Hold it, Buster. Wait, oh. Uh, oh. Good work, Mitchell. On your feet, Buster. Let's have a look at you. Get a light, Hall. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. Mitchell. What's the matter? Recognize this gent? Yeah, it's Albert Bouvet, the newspaper man. Oh. Bouvet, you are right. Oh, oh, Monsieur Oh, it is you, I... Oh, where is he? He must not get away. Let me go. Take it easy. Who are you talking about? The man who robbed us aboard the yacht. I hired him. You hired him? What does this all mean, Bovey? It was a plan. The money you gave me to place under the bridge last night, Monsieur Hull. I had marked it. Don't you see? So you staged this holdup in the hope you'd trace the marked money. Yes, yes. He was to bring the wallets to me. All the crazy... Look, Bobby, where does he hang out? His small hotel, not far from here. Well, come on, we'd better get over there fast. We pile into the newsman's car, hustle over to a broken-down hotel on the waterfront. Bobby and Hall hurry into the lobby, and while Bobby conducts an arm-waving conversation with the man behind the desk, I duck down the alley back of the hotel. I don't have long to wait. Our hold-up friend scoots out the back door, and I grab... <laughs> Sure, he's a small gent, but his left has the power of a pile driver. I'm setting him up for a right cross when my foot slips on the cobblestone, which is wet. And as I go down, he clops me on the side of the head with a satchel. <laughs> I'm sitting on the ground rubbing my ear when Hall and Beauvais come pounding up. Mitchell, Mitchell, are you all right? Yeah, but our friend got away. He left this, though. Well, he's satchel. He don't let me have it. 
You will see my plan was not such a bad one after all. Ah, look. Money, yes. Here is the bill I marked. And another, and another. Oh? Sacre bleu. Yeah. It... Your plan called for us to find that marked money in somebody's wallet, and we'd have our culprit. The money is here, all right, but where are the wallets? We must have thrown them away. Which means we don't know which of those people aboard the yard is behind this extortion racket. But who could anticipate such an eventuality? Let's see. There's about $2,000 here in the satchel. Looks like everybody on the yacht was carrying American money. My friend, these days everybody who has a chance to carry American money carries it. And about $500 of the money in the satchel is marked. The rest of it must be hidden aboard the yacht somewhere. It could be. Okay, suppose you start on Operation Ashcan, Beauvais. Paul and I'll see what we can pick up back at the yacht. Operation Ashcan? What is this? Check all the ash cans between the dock and the hotel where your stick-up boy was hiding out. See if you can find those wallets. Could be some of that marked money stuck to one of them. Paul and I head back to the yacht. Yolanda, Chipping, and George are in the lounge. I put the satchel on the table and told them we tracked down the stick-up man, that he got away, but we recovered the money. How much money was there? About $2,000, George. Most of it was in the satchel, but there was 500 in his coat pocket. Exactly what I lost, Spud. Thank you very much. Huh? You're sure about the amount? Of course I'm sure. Well, there it is. Help yourselves. Hey, Yolanda, how much did you lose, you remember? Huh? Ooh, a couple of hundred drop? Chipping? Well, that's a bit hard to say. I, I've stumbled across some rare finds in these, and I'm not sure how much they've cost me. Rare finds. He's a book collector, Joe. You dull. Oh. Then you don't know how much you had in your wallet. Oh, not more than 300, I should say. You see, I don't carry a great deal of cash on these trips. Letters of credit, that sort of thing, you know. No, I should have so much credit. He's dirty rich, Joe. It's filthy rich, my dear. Dirty, filthy. He'll never be clean, huh? Oh, fine. Where's DeLuca? Ah, oh, he turned in. He's not looking so hot. Huh? Nothing like losing some money to make the looker not feel so hot. Well, slip a few of these bills in his oxygen tent. It may snap him out of it. <laughs> You've got a good sense of humor, Joe. Oh, I'm a riot, Josephine. i got an idea. Why don't you come with us? With you? On the cruise. We're shoving off in about an hour. Huh? Where are you heading? Oh, I thought we'd stop at Corsica, then Napoli. Then what? Ah, then we split up. i got to go back to work. Okay, thanks for the invitation, Yolanda. You've got yourself another passenger. So now I know I've only gotten until the yacht reaches Naples to find out who's running this international kidnap racket. That means I've got to find the rest of the extortion money hall paid. My best chance of doing that is to stick with the yacht. Because I'm pretty sure it's hidden aboard somewhere. You shove off... Long about dark, everybody gathers in the lounge for cocktails. Everybody but me. And I figure this is my chance to start searching the staterooms. George, what's his name, is currently at the top of my suspect list because of the way he tried to stop the holdup. And later, the prompt claim he put in for the 500 bucks. So I give his cabin a look over, but I don't find anything. I step out in the passageway and turn to close his door behind me. Suddenly, something hard connects back on my ear. <coughs> Knocks me to my knees. I can hear somebody taking off down the passageway. I stagger to my feet and brush the cobwebs out of my brain. And then I pound along the passageway and round the corner. <coughs> oh, Mitchell, I came below to warn you. More me? Yeah, I saw DeLuca leave the lounge a few minutes ago. Thought he might have come here. I see. What happened? I got hit on the head. It must have been DeLuca. Maybe. He took off in a hurry. He probably heard me coming. You didn't see anyone? No. He might have ducked into one of the other staterooms or gone up this ladder here. Did you find anything in Georgia's stateroom? No. I'll say Beauvais next. Now, wait a minute. Sounds like they're all coming below to change for dinner. Great. Okay, looks like I'll have to wait for another chance. But I don't get another chance that night. After dinner, Yolanda wants to play charades, so we all have to choose up sides. 
Lal Hubli, the Hindu, sits in one corner cracking walnuts and keeping score. When the game finally breaks up, everybody turns in, so I'm out of luck. The next morning, when I come out on deck, Corsica is in sight. Yolanda and DeLuca are standing at the rail. Ah, good morning, Joe. How you sleep? Fine. How better than DeLuca? Huh? Uh, something the matter with DeLuca? Perhaps. Huh? This is my homeland, Corsica. All night I dream about it. A great island, Mitchell. Home of great people. You and Napoleon, huh? Oh, please, put Napoleon first. Napoleon and <laughs> Put the look. We thought it was going to be another Napoleon during the war. In the Italian army? No, it was nothing. Oh, sure, I saw Joe. Instead of the battlefield, he gets a desk job. He was a liaison officer in Berlin. The word Berlin hits me like a hammer. That little black book which started this whole deal used to be in the custody of a Nazi named Herzog in Berlin. The Luca could have hooked up with him there. At this point, he seems to be edging George out of the tough spot on my list. An hour later, we dock, and the happy little group streams off the yacht for a gay day ashore. But the trouble is, they insist I stream along with them. I'm pretty sure none of them's taking the money ashore. Pretty hard to hide more than $24,000 on you. So my best bet is to spring along with them and wait for another chance to search the staterooms. In the middle of the afternoon, we split up. I get back to the yacht first with Yolanda and George. I'm just starting along the deck when I spot Chipping coming up the gangplank with a couple of books under his arm and waving his cane frantically at me. Mitchell! Mitchell, a find, a positive find. A what? Uh, I was browsing in a bookshop and just happened to stumble across these. Imagine. Uh, what are they? Ancient textbooks of the gladiator school. That's where fencing really started, you know. So I learn something every day. These are in the Latin. And they disprove many of the modern theories about fencing. Yeah, well, uh, if you'll excuse uh, no, me, No, just I look here, old man. Uh? These illustrations... You see, it's been the prevalent theory that the glide or sliding thrust is a comparatively recent maneuver. But see, look, it's the same thing. I'll show you with my cane. You go... Hey! Take that cane and... I'm sorry, old boy. I, I thrust when I should have glided. As long as I know, that makes everything all right. Now try your thrust on somebody else, will you? I must find George. Yeah, you do that. Brother... Oh, DeLuca. I didn't see you standing there. Uh, I, I came to look for you. Uh, Yolanda says uh, tell everybody cocktails. Okay, tell her I'll be along in a couple of minutes. I stay up on deck until I see all of them come up to the lounge. Then I go below. DeLuca's room is first on my list. The money isn't there. I move to Chipping's room. Find nothing. Then to Yolanda's. And right away, I see something. Lying in the waste paper basket is a piece of green string. It reminds me of something. The books Chipping had. They'd been tied with green string. That reminded me of something else. Those books hadn't been in Chipping's room. Yet he hadn't them with him when he came up for cocktails. I glance round Yolanda's room... Beside the bed is a small bookcase. Before I can move toward it, I hear a slight noise in the passageway. I hadn't closed the door right too, so I put my eye to the crack and see a figure backing out of the Luca's room. I can't see the face, but I see a hand. A hand that reaches into a pocket and pulls out a gun. The gun's pointing right at me, and the man begins to move slowly forward. I squeeze the door shut, flatten myself against the wall, and wait. It's only a second before the door opens. The man and the gun slide in. And I jump! It didn't last long. 
A lucky swing from me sent him toppling over against the small bookcase, and there he lay, the bookcase across his legs, the books all around him. I stopped and picked up his gun. Now, listen, Mitchell. It's okay, Chipping. I'm not going to shoot you. Get this thing off me. In a moment. So you're the boy who's been running the racket. Where'd you get Herzog's little black book? I don't know what you're talking about. I follow you down here, find you searching the don't room. Don't give me any of that, Chipping. You guessed I'd be searching the rooms and came after me with a gun. If I hadn't spotted you, you'd probably have given it to me in the back. You're out of your mind. You've got nothing on me. Pity you can't see what I can see. What are you talking about? Mitchell, I, I tell you, you've got me all wrong. I'm just... Don't move. I might be tempted to use this gun of yours. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Take a look at these. They fell out of the bookcase where you'd hidden them. You probably figured I wouldn't search your landers' room. Your books, Chipping, with the centers cut out and the marked money you got from Hall packed in. Why, you dirty... Save your breath, Chipping. You're the man I've been after. And I've a hunch that when we look into things, we'll find you murdered Herzog in Lisbon to get hold of that little black book, and you've been using it ever since. You'll die for this, Mitchell. I'll kill you. You're the one that's going to die, Chipping. You'll be hanged. And by a little piece of green string. Dangerous Assignment, untuned to yesterday from the 3rd of December, 1952 on NBC. And that wraps up this hour of adventure, untuned to yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great shows from radio's past. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. Thanks for tuning in.